Thanks for downloading and listening to a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. A little bit different episode today. This is part of an interview that was recorded earlier this year for the Jamodi podcast hosted by Matt Saman. We talk about constructing your offensive system, teaching players how to play, and some of those fake fundamentals that can steal our practice time. Hope you enjoy my talk with Matt on the Jamodi podcast. Yeah, I think sometimes a big discussion is, do you have a system that you can fit any player into, or do you build your system around the players that you have. And I think I've been on both sides of that from time to time, but in your experience, man, coaching in college and, and everybody you've talked to, where do you fall in that, in that category? Yeah, I'm sure you've got people that listen to this. I want to be careful because as you just mentioned from a college coach's perspective, you have a little bit more control over things because you can recruit in the certain types of players, but that, that kind of that ends when you're not Duke and North Carolina and Kansas. <laughs> you know, you, you you try to, and sometimes you're fortunate to be able to get in guys that do fit in the system that you want it to, the way that you want it to look. But that's not always the case. We've numerous years missed out on guys and had to kind of like scramble and adjust a little bit. And so there's always like that balancing act between my way is the hard and fast way in the system being the thing that rules everything else, and we're going to do it no matter what versus being adaptable and, you know, playing to your player's strengths. With that being said, I do think that that can sometimes be used in, as an excuse to, well, we can't run this because we don't have. Yeah. And I, I would encourage coaches, there is enough out there now. I'm really big on conceptual offense. You can run that if you, you can teach it. I mean, you can, yes, there are certain parts of it, and depending on what you pick, if you're, you know, if you're a team that, uses a lot of ball screens, but you don't have guys that can set good screens. Well, like teach them to set good screens. I, yeah. I think to an extent, we sometimes use that excuse, well, I can't do that. And I think that there is a place for being realistic about what your players are capable of doing. But I also do think that modern basketball has allowed us to be able to create systems that really can especially use uh, smaller lineups, which is has been historically the excuse, like, well, I just don't have a, and then whatever size player is the biggest for your your level of play yeah. so that's one of the strengths of what we have this day and age is the fact that you can sometimes level the playing field a little bit uh, with smaller players we did that this year and had a lot of success playing against bigger bigger teams at certain points of the year and that kind of thing and sure like there's going to be some downside to it but certain matchups and that kind of thing but you can pick systems this day and age that allow anybody to have success doesn't matter if they're big or small or whatever. So that's a long roundabout way to answer your question of, I do think it's important for coaches to have like a system and, and to know like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. And this is when our, when guys come in, we're going to find the best place within our system to help them find success. But on the flip side of that, not be so rigid that you have to have this. Otherwise the other extreme is, and I would really encourage coaches that are listening to this 
do some self-examination and make sure you're not the guy or you're not the gal that is constantly switching what you're doing every mm. single year to match the personnel that you have. Because I don't feel like you as a coach become a better coach necessarily doing that. I look back on the last three years. So we've, the, the system what we're running is, is relatively new for us. And I look back over those three years and there are, there are things each year that I find out that I didn't know from the year before, but it just took time to be able to figure that out and make minor adjustments. You never get that opportunity if you're switching every year or two to a different system because of the excuse, well, I don't have that player anymore. So I have to completely change. I just would warn coaches not to do a complete overhaul. Yeah. If you're switching from one year flex offense to the next time motion offense, to the next time ball screen offense, like, probably going to not benefit anybody in your program, especially you, because you can't can't necessarily become uh, well-versed enough in that particular system to be able to even communicate it or teach it well enough. Yeah. And I would, I would imagine that skill training becomes a nightmare for yourself yeah. and your players when you're trying to build your spring or your fall, especially from at the high school level uh, around those philosophies you have. I mean, there's really going to be hard. It's going to be hard to build any type of continuity with your players and their own skill sets from year to year when you're trying to do things that are completely different, right? Yeah, for sure. For a younger coach, they think that they kind of compartmentalize things like what you just mentioned, like this is our skill development. And then uh, this is our, our off season workouts. And then these are our small group workouts and these are our practices. And then this is running our system. And I think you're hearing more and more now about the, the really good programs have found a way to make sure that the players, it's actually very simple. They actually do the same thing over and over in each of those settings, but obviously with a little bit different context. And, you know, now we're in five on five and this is, looks a little bit different than what we did in one-on-one, but what we did in one-on-one really helps us be better at five on five. And so yeah. how can you integrate all of those parts? And to your point, if you're, if you're changing every four parts of the season, you know, you have your, preseason, regular season, postseason, offseason, if you're constantly switching, there's that lack of, of continuity and the players, I feel like, become confused and they don't really grow to the level that they can. I know we all have heard of the story like the poor kid that has four coaches in four years. And I think a lot of players are walking around with four coaches in four years and it was the same dude. Wow. It was just you switched every yeah. single year. So I, I think it really kind of puts the kids at a disadvantage too. And it may stunt some of their growth and their potential to be able to uh, reach their full potential as individual players. And instead of, instead of trying to constantly change drastically what you do, I don't know what time, maybe you can answer this, like at what point you became comfortable within the style that you're coaching, but there is a style of play that all of us, I think it just, it, it, it just feels right. And you're comfortable. You get excited to teach it. I ran flex in college and nothing against any of those coaches that run flex, but I, I don't, I think coach bliss would walk down at practice and tell me a new variation of flex. And I just kind of had to fake my excitement to him as a player, you know? So there's that, there's a part of that, but then in, to encourage coaches that, so we went from, we were a four out, four out one in dribble drive team for about five or six years. And then I just found myself without really a, a dunker spot player you know, or anybody in our program and a bunch of guards that could shoot it. So I just started to look online at five out dribble drive motion and Mark Cassio's videos came, started to come up. And I noticed you've, yeah. you've had him on your show and, and, and 
I immediately reached out to him and it goes back to what we said at the beginning, how willing coaches are out there like yourself to share the stuff that they've learned and what they like. And I'll tell you that move from the dunker spot to the stretch has transformed us, but it's still the same concepts. Our skill work still flows. The way we lift still uh, flows right into the way that we play. So like you said, it's not a different mentality here, different mentality here. Now we do this here, everything. There's a, like a, a, like you said, the continuity to it, but encouraging coaches to find out what you like, but then go out and learn new ways to do it. I think that's huge. Yeah, th and this is an entire different conversation, but what you'll find if you actually, it's one way to think about it, but what you'll find if you watch good offense, I, you know, a lot of people, we can identify what good offense looks like, but if you were to ask those same people, okay, what is it that makes it good? It's sometimes it's difficult to like put it into words. And one of the things that I found that's helpful, I do a lot with diagramming plays and fast model. And so, I, I will a lot of times be looking at like an individual player, a quick hitter or a blob or whatever. And really, I, I think a lot of times when we say um, that's good offense, we're describing like good actions or things that are advantage creating scenarios. And what I like about what you just mentioned with, with Coach Cassio and um, Doug Novak is another one that's been really influential in my coaching is just their ability to kind of package all of that together and create a system in which those actions are used to exploit mismatches and create advantages and whatnot. And so that really is, is nothing more than what a system is. Going back to your flex, it was uh, several actions, a, a down screen, a cross screen, to create an advantage for you to be able to have a scoring opportunity. I think when you describe it in that way, I'm actually able to communicate that to my players. And we were able to this year throw in some variations on plays, um, mm. variations on on what we did. For instance, we did a lot of the same stuff that you were doing with the, the four out and the one end with the guy in the dunker spot. And we had the same same scenario where the guy who was the one in was actually sometimes better at the free throw line, especially with certain matchups that we had. And so we ran the exact same offense pretty much, but we added in some ball screens and then basically played him either at the nail or at the elbow because we had taught them concepts rather than plays, they were able to very quickly ad adapt and adjust to that. And if you watch our second half of the season, it was dramatically different from the first half because those guys had picked up the concepts. We made a few little changes. If you were watching, you would have said, oh, they're running a new offense, but they re we really weren't running a new offense. It was the same concepts, just with people aligned in different, different spots. And it allowed us to have a lot of success. You know, to your point, if you're teaching them how to play basketball yeah. rather than just teaching them basketball plays, it actually allows you to be very flexible. I, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, what, what happens if you do somehow get a six foot eight kid? Like that stretch spot, you're going to be like, that stretch spot's not very good for our offense anymore. <laughs> like, you know, but, but you're yeah. not going to have to go like, oh man, I better go back onto YouTube and watch all these coach tube videos and championship videos to find out a new offense to run. So you know, I think, again, in this day and age, modern basketball, like teaching them concepts and actions and just go watch an NBA playoff game. You're going to see the same actions over and over and over. It's the simplicity, but the execution within that, those simple actions that create the quote unquote good offense yeah. that we can see and identify, but sometimes have a hard time, a uh, hard time either describing or figuring out how do we apply that to our college or our high school teams. I've, I've made that comment so many times, watch like, man, that's beautiful. That's good offense. And, but I don't know if uh, in the moment, if someone's asked me, well, what's good about it? 
you know, if I could articulate it like the way you just did, that's beautiful. And, and, and I, that's what I big, one of the biggest things I got from Cass, coach Cassio was, you know, the teaching concepts, teaching them to make plays instead of run plays. It's, I think it's how I, I always enjoyed playing as a player rather than having my brain switched off and having actions that we were supposed to run. And sometimes those are important. So I'm not saying we completely throw those out, but in the long run, what is enjoyable? What will keep defenses off balance? What's the hardest to scout? It's players creating gaps and advantages, knowing what options are in those, and then just making sweet jazz out there. That's that's what I love. Another thing you ask is, is connected to this is, I, I want to pick something. You need to pick something as a coach that you enjoy. You use that word a couple of times, like it's fun for you. Players will feel yeah. that from you. Yeah, that, there's a different level of excitement that I have in what we do now than I had before. And the players, uh, to your point, follow suit with that. And it becomes fun. And, you know, when we are playing in those small-sided games, but st stopping and teaching them how to make better reads and where to look. And I'm still able to teach. And I think sometimes the coaches have a hard time with that because they don't want to take their hands off the joystick because things might go wrong or my, my players just don't have that basketball IQ. Mm. But once you teach them that basketball IQ, it becomes fun for both of you. And the last two years, but especially the last year and a half, I've had more fun not feeling like I'm having to control every single play down on the floor than when I called plays every time the ball went out of bounds or every time that we had a, you know, a stoppage in play or whatever. Let me ask you this. Uh, this is from experience. We had, this was my previous job as a varsity assistant. We, we had put in a uh, four out one in dribble drive and it really was, but we, I mean, this was years ago. We, it really was based on one guard that we had that we just thought if we can just create space for him, he can really make it go for everybody else. Uh, that young man got into some trouble and was removed from the team. And we, instead of sticking with that idea, we completely scrapped it. And this was a couple weeks into the season, scrapped it and went more of a Bobby Knight, you know, uh, emotion offense and some read and react. But I don't like when coaches say we have players that don't read or react very well, but like that, we didn't teach it very well. And it yeah. was a disaster. What are your thoughts on, I mean, mid-season or in the season, completely just changing the philosophy of what you're doing? Or even if you lose a few guys, especially if it's more conceptual, do you just kind of stay the course and keep teaching through that? Yeah, we had this scenario similar to that. I mean, our, our he was the fifth leading scorer in the country at the time. And, um, you know, we were like really starting to peak at the end of the semester. And it was really my goal for us to average around 90 points a game. And we were starting Love to hit that. that consistently. We had two games back to back with 90 points. Um, and in the first of those games, it was literally the Friday, Saturday, right before Christmas break, he broke his foot. And that was probably our best game to the point in that season. And then he breaks his foot and we're like, oh man, what are we going to do now? And it really allowed, I think it allowed the other guys, we stayed with what we had, but it, and it allowed the other guys to kind of step up. And, you know, that's one of the, the positives with this system, I know this isn't a plug for that system, but it is one of the, the positives with that yeah. system is that you're teaching everybody how to play basketball. And when you basically create space, exploit space and matchups, you are forcing the defense to make a decision. Do I want to go help stop the basketball where there is a disadvantage for my teammate defensively? 
or do I want to go help and leave my man wide open, which then creates those dominoes that maybe some people have heard about, but dominoes within your half court offense that ends up a lot of times with somebody getting a wide open or a somewhat uncontested three point shot, Yeah. which again, the system, our system is designed to use space, be able to drive and make plays for yourself or pitch and then find the open man. And so, I mean, we've seen the system go from a guy from being an average three-point shooter to being above average three-point shooter and above average three-point shooter to being a great three-point shooter. So we work on on everything that goes into our offensive system. We're working in it in individuals and every every component. And when you have somebody who is injured and another guy is inserted like we had, that kid flourished and the guys around him flourished as well. And it it basically leveled the the ability talent wise, what you saw on the floor of everybody that was out there. So again, I think that if you're so heavily reliant on one player and a system to make that one player, like you're screwed if that guy gets hurt because there's, there's nothing else you can. Like I, I get it. Like there's nothing you're like, we can't do this anymore. I've got to find something else. And you basically are then pretty much wasting an entire half of the season. Like, I'm sure there's like a Rudy story out there or something like that where a guy steps in and we go on and win the championship or something. I don't know, but like (laughs) that, that very rarely happens. I'm I'm not saying like rely on your better players. Like all of us do that. But again, I think the key word here is like balance. If you're so focused on those guys and then, or one guy and then that guy gets hurt then you're in trouble. But on the flip side of that, this isn't an equal opportunity offense either. I mean, um, your your star players do need to take more shots and that kind of thing. But that goes into it as well. Like, what's a good shot? What's a great shot? Well, that's different for my team. Well, I'll tell you what it is for our team. The guys who are the best shooters better be getting the ball and shooting it. But Love we're going to put them in spots where they can. So, yeah, yeah I just I just be very cautious about those. If you're making big, drastic decisions, your plan probably going into things wasn't wasn't what it should have been. Yeah. Two big takeaways from that. First, Coach Watson and I, we are definitely wrong. And for what we did, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. I mean, he, he, he's at a school called McKinney high school and they actually made it to the six a, 6A, which is the largest, largest classification here in Texas, made it to the state finals, the championship game. And it was an incredible game against Duncanville, who's a national powerhouse. And so uh, they, they played really hard, but even that weekend, when I saw him, we reflected back to, you know, why didn't we just stay the course? And because we had taught them really good concepts. And so my, my second takeaway is coaches, what if we taught a style of play that was really good for our best players, enabled for enabled them to shine and to really maximize their skill, but also allowed other players to surprise us, to to grow and to advance and to step up because how many systems handicap players because the roles are just so either small or they don't, they've been told they can't do something like that. I've seen players really surprise me um, in playing like this. A quick timeout podcast is sponsored by three on three hoops hub. If you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program, raise funds for your program or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what three on three hoops hub can do for you. Three on three hoops hub has run over 350 three on three basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across country do the same. Three on three basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. 
You can bring three-on-three to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best three-on-three Hoops Hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the training.3on3hoopshub.com QTO link in the show notes below. Uh, at your level, um, and, and w- especially with the style that you play, and I can just tell from talking that free-flowing players making plays and probably shooting the three quite a bit, which I love, what, uh, what role do analytics play with the way that you teach? Yeah, so if you looked at it, if anybody knows about like disc assessment, my disc assessment will tell you very quickly, I'm more of a numbers analytics person, not necessarily like a math person, but just the analytics and the applied component of it to what we do has been like really huge for us. Um, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with like the four factors and those have been really big for us, but it's more than just uh, us knowing about them. It's made the game very simple for our players to understand. They know with just a few few stats and a few pieces of information whether or not our team probably is doing what they should be. And it also allows us to basically focus them even during the course of a game. So shortly, we ended up having this year a, a COVID shutdown midway through the second semester. Oh, wow. And like our, our head coach was out. I had the program by myself basically for about five or six days. And then I had to coach for him um, while he was gone for one of those games. It allowed us at that point of the year to have enough data and information to be able to, the guys, they they saw like what mattered to us winning. And, and if yeah. you've listened to anything that I've done before, you'll hear me talk a lot about that. I do think the analytics allow you to focus on specific things. Because again, we as coaches have have so much information. And even at our level, I mean, I've got access to Synergy and to Huddle and there's stats because of the Huddle that we use that, that I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can be looking at. And again, you can sometimes like go and pick out things that yes, those had an influence on winning, but like what really mattered to our team big picture that either helped us win this game or caused us to lose this game. And you know, the, our numbers broke down exactly the way that the way that they were said or, or that Dean Oliver described them as breaking downs. And, and we were no exception to that. So the guys knew like we needed to shoot the ball well. Well, that completely determined part of our practice plan, like how much time we spent and where we got shots. And they saw then the importance. They understood the importance of getting up their shots outside of practice. It's, it's not something I had to pull their leg on or convince them of because they were able to see the information and data. And it's not necessarily that they have to love that. Um, I don't know how many high school players are really gonna get into that and really love that. But like all analytics does is it describes for you in numeric form what's happening. Yeah. It's not like, do you believe in analytics or not? That's like, <laughs> do you believe in the sun or not? Like, I don't care if you don't think that if you go out in the sun in the summertime, you're gonna get burned. I don't, it's just describing, the burn is gonna tell you what the sun is doing. And like that, that's what analytics are. They're just telling you what's happening. And when you describe it that way to your players, they're like, oh, okay. And again, once you collect enough information, you have enough game data that you see in these 15 games, when we won effective field goal percentage, didn't kill ourselves with turnovers and we stayed even or won the rebounding battle. We won X amount of game. They're going to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, and, and again, by the time we got to that point, going back to my story, by the time we got to that point in the season, it was very clear to them what they needed to do to win. And fortunately, the head coach came back and we went on a run there and we ended up winning the regional championship, went on the nationals and finished the season placed fifth in the country because they bought into 
the analytics and more importantly, what we were trying to do and those analytics, again, just describing what was happening out there on the court. So when I talked to them about, I need your, the kid that was our undersized big man this year, he's only six foot four, but had his best game of the year and bought into exactly what we said going into the regional tournament. I said, Steph, you have to be able to get double figures and scoring just off of rebounding, offensive rebounding, putbacks, and then making your free throws. He had his best game of the season in the regional championship game, and we won, I think, by like double digits that game. That he it was a perfect example of somebody who bought into the things and we just used the numbers to show him what mattered. He knew what mattered and he went out there and did what he was supposed to do, rebounded well, made his made his free throws, finished inside, got some and ones. And I mean, it was directly related to those numbers. Those numbers were used just to just help him understand what mattered. He was able to focus on what mattered. And I think that's a big part of it. So like those things allow us to focus on what matters and allows your players to focus on what matters. Um, it allows us to focus on what we're practicing in practice. No offense. I'm going to offend some of your listeners and we're going to lose some of them right now when I say this. But like <laughs> if you're spending five or 10 minutes diving on the floor for loose balls because you're going to tell me like that matters to winning. I'm not going to argue with you. But while you're diving on the floor for loose balls, I'm going to be shooting three pointers so that my three-point percentage can go up. And I understand the one time in the game when there's a loose ball on the floor and my guy bends over at his waist rather than diving on the floor and your team gets it and win, that's going to be your one example. That, that's not going to what's going to win you ultimately a game. It's going to be whether or not you make shots, don't turn the ball over, rebound, and make your free throws. You can argue that if you want to, and I don't buy into analytics, but like that's just how it is. Um, that's just describing what happens over the course of a game. So those are big for us because those force us as coaches to really look through our practice plan and say, are we practicing the things that actually matter to winning or are we spending time on stuff that isn't as important or is taking away, if you want to put it that way, it's taking away time from the things that are the most important things. By the way, if you want to dive on the floor for loose balls like or take a charge drill or whatever, I've done them before. They're fun. They get the team pumped up. But if I'm doing that to the extreme or things like that to the extreme that's taking away from the other stuff that matters, that's where I think that you're doing a team a disservice by not really focusing on the things that matter to winning. Well, Coach, man, th this was awesome. In this one, yeah. I felt like there were a few things that really made me think and, and it will help a lot of coaches out. So thank you, man. Thank you for asking me. It was great to talk with you.